0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Christina Keller. Christina is the president and CEO of the Cascade Engineering family of companies, a family owned private business founded by her father, Fred Keller, in 1973. As president and CEO, Christina is responsible for ensuring that Cascade Engineering continues its dedication to the community, accomplishes its purpose of being a triple bottom line company and develops and executes Cascade's strategic direction. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. I'm delighted to have you here. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. So you are heading up a a large global manufacturing company. You have 10 different business units in a a variety of areas like transportation and environmental services, office seating, very diverse kinds of areas. And what do you see as uh, the impact of the work that you do overall?
1: Wonderful, well thank you. Um, We look at Cascade Engineering as uh, a place where we can have a diverse work environment that gives an opportunity for everybody to thrive. And so what's really fascinating to me, I've worked in consulting, I've worked in other areas, and the ability that manufacturing has uh, to bridge the divide between people who are maybe coming out of poverty, coming out of prison, coming out of welfare, Um, and and looking for opportunities to grow or people who are at the top of their game from a a well-respected university and want to um, uh, continue their career path, it really gives us an opportunity to blend uh, people from very different backgrounds um, and be able to create highly functioning teams. We actually think diversity is one of our keys to success, and so being able to take people uh, from various different backgrounds and support them um, in that, that growth and um, uh, development opportunity It's something fantastic. We also are able to look at innovation. Uh, so we look at how we can um, uh, protect the environment as one of the ways that we look at how to innovate. Uh, so we've come up with new processes and technologies that are more environmentally friendly from a manufacturing perspective. Um, so there's a lot of impact that we're able to have on our local communities on our employees and as on our environment as we continue forward as a triple bottom line organization that cares about people, planet, and profitability.
0: Mm. Well, I noticed in your list of business units, polymer compounding is one of them. And and, uh, my dad used to work for a large rubber company. So I know a little bit, a little bit about that. And it's hard to imagine that in the same context as environmentally uh, impactful or, or a positive impact on the environment. Is that challenging because no, no. yeah actually that's quite
1: interesting because we got into the polymer group in order to have a more consistent source for our alternative material regrind hmm. so we actually um, you know environmental plastics often get a bad environmental wrap mm-hmm. um, you know I have other people banning uh, straws and uh, bags and other things but what, what I really say is you, know, you have to have the materiality uh, or, or the usefulness that is related to what you're going to be using that product for. Plastic is a horrible application for a one-time use, absolutely, Uh, but for durable-use products, uh, it's actually one of the more sustainable products because it doesn't uh, rust over time, it doesn't degrade, it holds its mechanical properties, and at the end of life, like we do with many of our trash containers, we can take them back and re-grind them, uh, repelletize them even, and uh, put them back into our um, uh, product for, for new, um, new products in the future. We've also been working with an Israeli company out of um, uh, Israel that, that's working on taking trash and making it into um, plastic product. And so mm-hmm. they, they actually do some reactor work with the, uh, with the, pla- with the uh, trash, make it into a powder, and we can compound it at our facility in, uh, in noble polymers and be able to uh, make that into a carbon negative product because you've actually lost wow. carbon uh, making that polymer. So so actually, I, I think uh, plastics can can be a very environmentally friendly uh, product as long as you're using it for the right applications.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I really like the way you put that in terms of perspective of let's think about the application from one-time use as opposed to what you can repeatedly recycle. and. Mm-hmm. Use in other ways. I, I know you gave a TED talk on sustainable business, which I, I enjoyed listening to. And uh, in it, you talk about uh, how kind of the old business model has been financial returns for immediate gain versus a more sustainable approach. Can you speak a little bit about what that what sustainability means to you in that context? Absolutely. And we
1: have the benefit of being a um, uh, a privately held organization, so we can look intergenerationally, we can look long term. Um, I think a lot of businesses, unfortunately, are getting caught up in short term uh, financial results, which can lead to trade offs where you say, okay, well, I can uh, make more money now if I do this uh, uh, socially or environmentally irresponsible activity. Uh, but often that doesn't work in the long run. If you're going to make those types of decisions repeatedly, you're going to erode trust. You're going to erode um, structures that are uh, helping to allow you. And, and I often say you can't, you can't outpace your community. You can't outpace your customers uh, for, for the long run. We really have to uh, think about these win-win scenarios where people can uh, collectively uh, make good decisions long-term. And so when you're, when you're looking at the long-term uh, you often look naturally at some of the social and environmental attributes as well as the profitability because uh, it's about building relationships and about building trust um, in your uh, employee base with your customers and in your communities.
0: Hmm. Well, I know that you've you've referred to this already, but you're you do uh, work in bringing people who have been on welfare, people who have been in prison, and bringing them into your workforce. Absolutely.
1: Um, I I think, actually, it's very interesting. I was talking at uh, Plastics News Conference, and we were talking about the the issue that manufacturing is facing looking forward, Um, and between the economic expansion and baby boomers beginning to retire, uh, the manufacturing industry is looking at a deficit of 2.5 million jobs that may go unfilled in the next number of years uh, because... Um, uh, manufacturing ranks dead last in terms of what new high schoolers want to go into. So right. seeing people exit out of manufacturing faster than we're seeing people enter into uh, manufacturing. And a lot of times people have a, a perception of the manufacturing industry that it's dirty um, uh, unions, all the different things that, that people think about, you know, it, it, human rights abuses or other things that, that um, people have in their mind. But the good news in that is that in it, in, It ranks seven out of seven, so dead last when high schoolers were polled of what they wanted to go into if they have no familiarity with manufacturing. But once they've had an opportunity to visit a facility and to see firsthand what you can do in manufacturing, it ranks third out of seven, which I thought was a pretty fascinating study. because Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that that in reality, manufacturing is pretty interesting. You can create the next generation of products. Uh, we can do CAD design. Uh, we can um, shape things in con- in concept and then actually make them um, as a as a next generation. And so um, uh, there's a lot of opportunities to go and and work out west and and sell AdWords or do other things like that. Or you can stay. Uh, right here in 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 your hometown and, and be able to participate in something that's that's really creating um, uh, things that you see in your everyday life.
0: Hmm. Well, I know that uh, the company's committed to the triple bottom line approach and that you have become a certified B Corp. That was back in 2010, I believe. And you've won a lot of awards in that realm, the best for community. This is the, just for 2018, best for community, best for environment, best overall. Uh, how has that, how has, uh, well, first of all, why did you choose to go through that process? And I'm, I'm not sure if you, how involved you were in that process, but why did the company go for certification and how those principles change the business, if at all?
1: Great, and we, we really have been a, a, a triple online organization for a long period of time. So when B Corporation came along, And actually, Fred, uh, my father, had some uh, interactions with the founders of of the B Corp and B Lab and helped with uh, with counseling them as well and helping them along their route. And uh, we really wanted to support the movement and so be a part of that. But also um, to the extent that what you measure matters, Um, uh, having an outside body Help you on your journey. We 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 picked up some things as well. Uh, some examples were for our supply base uh, when we had to get our B Corp score. Score. Um, and they measure not only what you do, but also what your supply base is doing. And so um, that helped us make some uh, get some additional visibility to things that maybe we had been asking or some things we hadn't been asking of our supply base. Um, and so that was a a, a unique ad. And and we continue to. Uh, we're a learning organization, and so as we find our scores each year, uh, we we try to improve those, and have had some dramatic jumps up as we've learned, you know, what what might help uh, move that move that needle, and and I think
0: that as a result, we've continued to grow our our impact um, overall. Yeah, I had a look at the on the B Lab, the B Corporation site, and your score is higher than most companies that I've seen at least. So. Yeah, yeah. It's um, something we work at. So yeah, well then there's some rigor involved, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, you mentioned your dad, and it's a family business. Um, how have you navigated that successfully? Because it's, uh, you know, you hear about family businesses having. Um, you know, there's differing, differing values with respect to the environment, for example, or or issues of just people being so used to being in charge that uh, it's hard for them to let go. How have you navigated this whole family business journey together?
1: Well, I've been very lucky to have um, a father who is, uh, I can't say enough positive about him. He's been a, a mentor for me. He's been um, somebody who I, I admire. Um, and I think we have very similar values. Um, and so as it comes to values alignment, we are, uh, I would say, 100% aligned on the, on the value side of things. Um, there are differences that we have, uh, one of them being that I'm a, a young woman uh, in a leadership role in a manufacturing industrial <laughs> area, and that's, right. that's a little bit unique. Um, but I also had the foresight of a father who embraced diversity and the value of diversity long before I even had this opportunity. So he set the groundwork uh, for the organization and and the communities that we're involved in to be embracing uh, diversity. And that's really helped me, um, as I've become a, a young woman leader of of the organization. Um, so so it's been a it's been a long journey. I've been a part of the organization for over nine years, and I've worked very hard to, Earn uh, the role and to uh, work through various different um, uh, aspects, but I uh, definitely think I've had the the benefit as well of having a fantastic uh, a network within the organization and, and with my with my father's support.
0: Mm, that's great. Well, I, I know you said in an interview about, and you just referred to it, of a, being a young woman in the manufacturing realm, being a leader in that realm. And do you see that shifting in your time that you've, you've been, I mean, you haven't been in the role for, for uh, you've been in the role a few years, but um, just in your time in manufacturing, have you noticed a shift in terms of women leaders? Well, what's been exciting about uh, the West Michigan region
1: is that uh, it seems like every few months we're seeing some new leadership. And so I've been very excited to watch uh, Christina Fries-Decker take on the leadership role at Spectrum Health, uh, which has over 23,000 employees in our community. Um, So she's a a young woman leader um, uh, that that I've admired. Uh, Also, Rosalind Bliss is our new mayor Uh, for Grand Rapids, and we have Meredith Bronk, who is the president of OST, uh, Mary Barra at uh, GM, as you look wider in Michigan, and also Patty Poppy uh, for um, Consumers Energy, and and finally Andy Owen uh, from Herman Miller. So a lot of women leaders uh, popping up in the the West Michigan and greater Michigan area uh, that have quite large uh, and reputable organizations that they're Um, leading. And so I I will say that is a bit of a change uh, from even five years ago, and that wasn't the case. And so it's exciting to see some of the positive momentum in that direction.
0: Mm. Well, what, how would you define really great leadership? And I always think of the term impactful leadership because you're uh, heading up a company that chooses to contribute in a positive way that's having impact how how do you define impactful leadership? One of my favorite
1: books is the uh, Habits of highly effective people and and we in, incorporate that a lot into our organization and they talk a bit about the balance of courage and consideration and I really like that because when you say servant leadership I think it's 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 used a lot, but the the balance of courage and consideration is that uh, we have the courage to to confront and hold people accountable and and move things forward. Uh, but the consideration uh, is the human element. The uh, you know everybody that comes to an organization comes uh, from a from a different background. They they've got different life paths that they're walking. And being able to uh, meet them where they're at uh, with some consideration and and recognition of the of the human side of the business, I think, to me, is a, is a great balance to be able to say we've got to make good business decisions, but we can uh, do those in a manner at which we um, recognize the human element.
0: Mm. Well, how have you developed your own leadership? I mean, what would you say are some of the ways that you've been able to do that? Uh, perhaps it's just happened serendipitously or that you've consciously chosen to do? Yes, I I actually
1: did some formal training and informal training. Um, Some of the formal training was through, um, I got my MBA from Cornell University at the Johnson School of Management. Um, I also did um, some manufacturing specific lean black belt training with Villanova um, and and did the Six Sigma uh, training for that. So I've done some uh, different leadership and and, uh, technical skill uh, training, um, but and I've had, of course, a wonderful mentor in my father um, uh, as a as a leader and somebody who has um, uh, forged the path before. Um, but I think in terms of the informal leadership, I learn a lot from my team members. And so when I lead a team, uh, I I really value each of the members on that team. And, and the executive council that we've put together at Cascade right now uh, is is world class. Uh, the, our VP of operations. We were able to uh, bring him over from a, a large automotive supplier manufacturer in the community. Uh, he was a VP over 22 facilities in North America, and I learn a lot from him every day. Uh, we also have some great engineering and, and uh, commercial resources, and so um, the team members um, helped me And I I help them
0: uh, to to be able to uh, move us forward collectively as an organization. Hmm. Well, something that's interesting about your background is that you've lived in Europe and Central and South America. You've worked in East Africa. And you you actually told a a story um, in something I I listened to about, uh, I think it was one of your TED Talks, where you talked about Someone saying that the poverty in Washington D.C., for example, seemed far worse to them than anything they'd seen in what we think of as poorer countries, and I would think that that perspective and your experience would have would shift your your view about business and about how the world operates. Can you
1: speak a little bit to that? Absolutely, and and I do uh, recall that it, it is. It's fascinating because I do think that um, uh, there's a book that I was reading about. Um, uh, what was it? The Happiness Advantage by Sean uh, Aker. and he was talking a little bit about how positive psychology and um, what causes happiness. And so, happiness is actually caused by your social connections and some of the the, the ways that you interact with others. And um, that was some of the reference to um. Uh, to the, the poverty that I saw in Africa, because in some locations, people were actually uh, very highly connected and, mm-hmm. and found meaning in their day-to-day, uh, in their work. There was a lot of optimism. Um, and so those are some of the precursors to really having happiness and being able to um, uh, be, a, uh, be in a happier. When you look at some of the poverty that we have in um, North America, there's a lot of um, isolation, uh, socially, economically, and otherwise, uh, creating a lack of social connections, mm-hmm. uh, pessimism, uh, lack of meaning, um, and so I think it's it is interesting to think about, um, you know, as societies, how are we how are we engaging in a in a positive way uh, with our with our collaborations, and so as a business. Our, our opportunity that we have, uh, I often say, to be able to, to work across boundaries. So rather than look at it as a silo of government, a silo of not-for-profit, a silo of business, um, we all uh, want our communities that we live and work in to uh, be successful. We all want, um, you know, to have a, a growth in the, in the economy. And so how can we look at collaborative ways. An example is our, our welfare to career program. You know, we're able to partner with a not-for-profit uh, ERN that, that helps us provide services to our employees. Uh, we can even get some uh, governmental uh, grants for some of these people that we're hiring. Um, and so the, the, the different groups are all supporting each other and creating a positive or virtuous cycle that helps us all lift our community up. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, those are the principles, um, that we want to work towards and, 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 illuminate, uh, because those are the ones that I think will be long-term
0: successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've worked in Africa myself and the, the sense of community there is very powerful. People have, uh, an in, uh, I mean, it's a learned approach to life where people look after each other and there's that social connection that you mentioned is very strong, Certainly, there. Yeah, I know that you're um, you serve on the <clears throat> the board. I believe you're vice chair as well of the Grand Rapids Community Foundation, and it's a very interesting organization because <clears throat> you're doing uh, granting scholarships, you're doing work in health and the environment and the neighborhoods, and also in impact investing. So um, it's an interesting mix, and I I wonder how how does philanthropy fit in with that and and with business in your view
1: that's fantastic and i love the foundation i think it's great to be able to have place based uh because i believe that philanthropy um uh if from a sense of place um can actually be detrimental at times and can be counterproductive to um to building economy one of the examples is when i was in ghana um there was a group that was donating grain and, and um, you know, good intention group. Um, but when I walked through the streets, I asked uh, a local, uh, you know, why are these people in poverty? He said those were grain farmers. And when the grain started being donated, the grain prices here went to zero and all of those farmers were out of work. And they, they lost their savings. They lost their, their livelihood. They lost their farms because of the donations. And so uh, that was very impactful for me because you, you, you really have to be careful because there's good intentions and, and then they can have those types of negative results, which were exactly opposite of what that not-for-profit was intending to do. Um, because they then created people who had dependencies on on handouts for food rather than um, uh, uh, helping the people who were already in poverty. So um, when I look at philanthropy, I think place-based philanthropy is really powerful because it has an ability to really get to know a community. So the Grand Rapids Community Foundation has been in the community for almost 100 years and really wrestling with these issues and in, in bumping into the same people, the same not-for-profits, the same donors, mm-hmm. and getting to know the track record of success of the various organizations and really also understanding where there's overlap or redundancy and maybe possibly some holes. And so the Challenge Scholars Program was to try to uh, bridge a hole or a gap in funding relative to education. And so really trying to to pour some additional funding into education in the inner city um, because that's a, a, a good uh opportunity. But also uh the impact investing is very exciting. Uh we we help to support some uh CDFIs coming to the community, uh some micro lending institutions, um a rendezvous uh capital is one that helps lend to um uh, minority businesses and minority um startups and so uh we look at cascade as an opportunity for people to find career opportunities um but at what the work that we're doing in, in with through the community foundation actually helps uh people start their own jobs and start their own um uh uh places of employment that they can be uh employers of others. Um and so I think they can all dovetail in quite nicely. Um, especially if you're if you're bounding it based on on place and having
0: a rooted uh, multi-year approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that longer-term planning and really measuring what effect it's having along the way, because there's a lot of well-meaning initiatives that go on without necessarily moving things or shifting things. Absolutely. Yeah, I know you spoke at uh, one point about there being kind of an artificial dichotomy between making money versus impact that contributes. And we've had this these kind of siloed approach uh, in business of, well, here's the philanthropic arm. Yes, we donate money. And here's our business over here that makes money. And you're, you have some views about how interconnected those are. Absolutely. And we're even looking at how we can
1: um, uh, reformulate ourselves internally with our contributions committee uh, to look at returns on impact. Um, and if there's something that really is going to be an investment, um, but will have a strong impact, uh, maybe even moving that outside of our typical capital requisition process, but into our contributions committee process um, so that we can really um, honor the the the. Uh, difficulty that we have of, of how do you how do you do something um, uh, that's good for for all three bottom lines and what do you do when it's not correct on on all three um, but it's it's been a it's is a very interesting area um, of what you can do to try to make a positive impact in addition to um,
0: uh, make a profitable uh, business hmm. Well, something I find really intriguing is, in a manufacturing business, how do you go about uh, maintaining or nurturing the kind of culture that you want to build? Because there's a seeming, uh, I guess—I hesitate, hesitate to use this word, so tell, tell me your thoughts on it, but there's kind of a divide. I mean, there are people on the manufacturing floor then there are people in the offices. When I was in college, I worked in a manufacturing setting and it was it was very siloed, very separate. And how do you build a culture among people that are doing very different work and often in different locations?
1: Yeah, no, that's something that's very real and that we work very hard to break down the divide. Sometimes we call that the difference between the carpet and the concrete. And we try to make sure that, you know, that you're walking on both surfaces and so, we do a lot of work to try to get our um, office uh, staff walking through the production floor and um, uh, we do safety observations and so we're doing we we call them stop observations so everybody has to be on the production floor two times uh, a month um, from the office setting and they they have to both recognize people for things they're doing well safely um, and point out things that might be unsafe from the work environment so that we can ensure one of our goals is to be the, the safest work environment in the world. Um, and so we are, we're on that journey. And so um, and that also helps to, to bring the collaboration because people coming out and, and um, uh, saying, uh, you know, positive things about things that they're seeing and safe working conditions really helps to start those conversations and really get um, people, people dialoguing. We also make sure that when we have uh, events, awards, events, et cetera, that we have an equal um, uh, participation rate between uh, people that are maybe on the production floor and people that are in the office settings so that we're celebrating side by side on the um, accomplishments that that people have have um, have done. We also say uh, at, at, on the on the carpet side of things that we're just overhead and and actually the values created on the concrete and so what we can do to um, uh, to really celebrate the work that's being done um, and also look at it as career pathways Uh, so we have a a system where we have level a operators who are brand new to the organization but they can quickly ascend to be a c a b a c and then eventually a d and at d they choose the route of either admin or technical Uh, Hmm. as they go towards plant management or towards um, uh, more of the manufacturing, engineering, technical route. And if they go towards the admin route, there's other um, opportunities that open up on the uh, uh, SG&A side or in the, in the office setting. And so we really have quite a few people in our office setting that began on the production floor, myself included. We, we had to spend some time on the production floor uh, at the very beginning to really get to know how the product is made and how we do things. And so um, it, there, there is a very real divide, but we've done a lot of things to work uh, to make that more collaborative. And I think another part of the culture is that we value diversity. And so, in that, uh, we value the, the diversity in the perspective that you're bringing, uh, regardless of, of where you are at this moment in time or, or where you have been in the past or in the future. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, something that uh, uh, I think too is challenging in organizations is taking strategic planning and direction and really putting it into implementation, into aspects like culture. How, how do you bridge that gap or how do you see opportunities there for making a connection between let's sit around and create a big binder of st- strategy and then uh, it, it kind of uh, it can. It's not necessarily implemented very effectively.
1: Yeah, I love strategic um, uh, work. I actually did some strategic consulting for a while, and I I think that stra- strategies are only good if they're actionable. And so I've I've always challenged myself to get our strategy down to a one-page uh, document so that it can be wow.
0: actionable.
1: Uh, we do have, of course, behind it all the market research, all the data, so that you can have multiple pages, but. I believe there is a quote by Albert Einstein of if it's not, if you can't explain it in simple terms, you don't, you don't understand it well enough. Right. <laughs> so right. I think the idea that you can really bring it down. So our, our core tenants come down to three things uh, that everything else is, is, is lined up against. So besides the purpose of our triple bottom line, the three things are driving customer innovation. And that's all about uh, creating innovation and value for our customers. The second one is around being an, an employer of choice which hmm. means having the safest workforce, the healthiest workforce, opportunities for learning and development and engaged employees. And the last one being operational excellence 4.0, uh, which is all about our journey towards industry 4.0 and having world-class operational excellence. And so if we can do, and there's, it, it all cascades from those um, three core tenants um, and we have um, workflows and other things that uh, can support our leadership in those different areas, and they all bring us closer to our North Star, which is uh, to have a positive impact on uh, society, the environment, and to be financially successful. So we have goals and and metrics around um, our triple bottom line and our three core areas, and we have both five-year
0: objectives and one-year objectives, so we can see our progress towards those goals. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm a great... Uh, lover of strategy as well. I love that process and that's what I work with my clients on impact focused strategy so uh, to get it down to one page is a serious <laughs> accomplishment. So my hat is off to you. That's great. Thank you <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm curious about how you maintain your own energy as you're doing all of this I mean you're you at this high-level role you are involved in things in the community you have a family. How do you maintain your energy? Do you have a a morning routine that you do, or, or other ways that you help maintain your energy?
1: Well, it's um, it definitely got a lot of things going on. I've got some great uh, assistance both in the office and at home, um, and to be able to to move things forward. Um, I think I, I, I there was a woman mentor that I had at one point that was saying that. You need to you need to get help <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. hiring people to help out with your home or with your children uh, in order to really be able to do it all. And and I, I have um, been lucky fortunate enough to have some people that help me out. Um, we have somebody who comes between seven and nine a.m. in the morning and helps get the kids ready for school and take them to the school bus because their school bus doesn't come until eight thirty, uh, which means I would uh, one of us wouldn't end up to work until. Closer to nine, and we often like to get to work around eight. And so it's been a, a neat balance for us to be able to have somebody who can um, help out with the, with the kids in the morning so they have a regular routine. Uh, but then I also get the opportunity to have breakfast with them and have a conversation and make it more of a meaningful interaction um, uh, in the morning versus trying to rush them off and, and do the tactical. Uh, where's your where's your lunchbox and <laughs> get out of here <laughs> right, right. It does help me, yeah, it helps me start the day with a little bit less stress to be able to uh, uh, you know eat breakfast with them and and uh, and take off and get and get my day started.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that's uh, it's a wise thing to do. <laughs> well, Christina, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so, first, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? So the
1: biggest thing that I've learned about having impact is that um, your intention does matter. Uh, sometimes people feel that if you get to the same end result, uh, your intention didn't matter. Um, but I, I really have come to learn that uh, your intention is, it matters because it, it matters that you build trust with individuals. It matters uh, because if you hit a roadblock if you have the right intentions you'll push through that roadblock it'll become a a barrier versus a stopping point um, and you can break through it and so um, uh, to me I think um, as an impact organization or or someone who cares about this having the the positive psychology having the intention uh, to make a positive impact really does matter.
0: Well, second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that has contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: So for me, it's been to listen and measure. Um, And so uh, I've spent a lot of time um, listening to others, listening to my team, listening to um, various different inputs, um, and then measuring uh, myself measuring the team measuring the progress uh, because what you focus on and what you measure uh, gets accomplished and and uh, sometimes you d- you can't uh, get overwhelmed in the face of all of the things that need to be changed in the world all of the uh, uh, the the impact that needs to be made uh, but if you can make measurable improvements and um, and listen and and continue to measure those um, you you can make progress and so I, I have been able to. Um, uh, to make progress with with
0: listening and measuring, mm. and the third question, I, I feel like I want to ask you what you measure, but I <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious yeah. about that because I, I think the the um, met, metrics are so valuable and they're often uh, I think degraded because people maybe aren't looking at the right things. So is there is there one or are there one or two metrics that are particularly important to you?
1: I like to try to have metrics on each of the the legs of the triple bottom line. So social, environmental, and um, financial. And so, you know, measuring both myself and the organization for, um, uh, there's a lot of PEPs or other types of analysis of how am I being perceived as a leader? How am I um, uh, doing relative to my peers and, 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 um, do people feel our employee survey do they feel like they're engaged um, would they recommend us to other places and so really measuring that social side and from an environmental perspective there's really two sides to it one is the um, uh, growth side so are we do we have enough sustainable and innovative products in the pipeline and the other one is doing less harm so um, we measure zero waste to landfill and our journey towards getting to zero um, of uh, not throwing anything uh, to the landfill and so how can we re- reuse and reutilize those and then of course the financial metrics um, uh, personally and as a, as a business are we are we attaining our goals or plans that we set out to accomplish
0: mm-hmm. yeah thank you for expanding on those it's yes. a, a good way of looking at it like the the, the triple bottom line the three legs of that, that is being your core metrics that you that you look at. Well, the the third rapid round question is what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with another business owner who's saying, I want to have more impact. I want to contribute more. What would you say to them? I would challenge them to look long term. I think if you look out 10 years
1: and you say, what do I want my business to look like? What do I want my community to look like? What do I want uh, my greater world to look like? Um, and really start working backwards from a future state, um, I think it helps you frame uh, it differently because a lot of times we're looking forward, we're looking forward a day, a week, a month, um, and it's all from our point in time. If you take a vantage point of, of longer term and start looking back and say, what, what would have made me successful? Uh, I, back to the seven habits of highly effective people, they say, begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So what type of end are you trying to create um, and work backwards from that because that really makes you naturally expand uh, to become an impact organization because uh, you can't outpace uh, your communities, you can't outpace um, uh, your environment, and it, and it really helps you frame
0: it differently. Mm-hmm. Well, Christina, thank you so much for what you've shared here today. I think your perspective of business, community, and the world, uh, it really fits together so well as a way of looking at impact, and your work in the manufacturing sector is somewhat unique it's, it's, uh, in terms of how much focus you have on impact there. So thank you for sharing all of that with us today.
1: Thank you so much, thank you for having me.
0: So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Well, our website, um, uh, www.cascadeeng.com, uh, has a contact us um, page and and eventually that gets through to me and and we're able to look at different opportunities for for connecting and um, uh, you can also uh, see some of our uh, different videos and other things that we're engaged in as an organization there as well.
0: Mm. And I know you're going to be speaking uh, this later this week actually at the momentum summit of uh, of B corporations that are gathering. That's correct. I will be well, there
1: in North Carolina at the moment. <laughs>
0: coming up soon. Great. Well, Christina, thank you again for being here and for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. And you as well. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.